Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about this this testimony from Attorney General Bill Barr and related to the Mueller report and the second day of testimony in the House that we thought was going to happen and did not happen. We've got a lot of different different moving parts and different things going on here coming out of the end of the Mueller probe. And we're going to dig into all of them. And uh, one of the uh, people we're going to talk to is TPM's Tierney Sneed, who was, Tierney, you were there in the in the testimony in the Senate, right? In the room? Yeah, I was there in the room. Right. All right. So we're going to dig into that and all the uh, kind of associated issues at stake. Uh, my regular co-host, David Tainer, is out today. So John Light is is subbing in as yes. as Hello. the as co-host and uh, MC of the show. What's up? Right. Yeah. I, I, Hi, I'm good. <laughs> Very happy yeah. to be here. Come out from behind the, you know, the keys and speak into the mic. Yeah. Well, normally you're 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 the producer. Right. But not not the not an on-air personality as we right, say here right, in the podcast right. business. So I'll fill David's big shoes. Hopefully. Yeah. So what are we doing? Well, we're mostly going to be talking about Bill Barr this week. He went before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and that was fiery. And right before that happened, uh, the night before, we learned that Robert Mueller had sent him a letter back in March expressing concern about how Barr summarized Mueller's findings. And that was the first time that we really. In a sense, that was the first time that the central figure, Robert Mueller, had spoken, almost, right. almost literally in the whole investigation. And because we, 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 we had these reports um, a few weeks ago about, you know, some people tied to the investigation were unhappy, but it was, you know, it wasn't really right. clear. It's like, unclear who that is, yeah, if it's some lower level person in his office. Exactly. But now we know whether it was him or not. He agreed with yeah, at yeah, least part of that yeah, sentiment. Yeah, so, yeah. so that that was a uh, that was a big. All right, so let's get into this. So we have, I, I have to do since we are we are a very big time podcast now and have and have tons of major sponsors. We're going to do a few key sponsor messages. Is it that that's the time in the show where I do this, right? Yes. John? Okay. Let's do it. So let's let's talk uh, quickly first about uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Want to become a true office hero? Treat yourself and your coworkers to the best iced coffee in the country with a forty-two serving. Bag in a box from Grady's Cold Brew, now shipping to 20 states on the East Coast. This coffee concentrate pours from a spigot just like boxed wine. So help yourself to cup after cup of Grady's signature New Orleans-style flavor, freshly brewed with chicory for just a hint of all-natural sweetness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code 
TPM. And okay, so t- so today we have we have another sponsor, a new one, a new one, new sponsor for the Josh Marshall podcast. So let me tell you about it. It's, it's, this sounds like a uh, a podcast I'm going to want to check out. I want to tell you about a great new podcast, the Primary Ride Home. The Mueller report didn't save us. Impeachment looks like a pipe dream. The only way we're going to save democracy now is at the ballot box. Someone is going to challenge Donald Trump for the White House. The Primary Ride Home is a podcast dedicated to figuring out who that someone, or maybe even multiple someones, will end up being. As the name implies, it covers the presidential primaries. Every day at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist and This American Life contributor Chris Higgins catches you up on what happened on on the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction? What do the polls say? It's a 15 to 20 minute show that keeps track of all the latest and summarizes it so you don't have to be nervously refreshing your web browser 12 times a day. Well, we still would need you just I'm just cutting out of the ad copy. We still need you to be checking TPM 12 times a day. But but you get the idea. Anyway, uh, back to the ad copy here. It summarizes all the latest so you don't have to be nervously refreshing your web browser 12 times a day. It's like a TLDR as a service. So if you want to catch up on what you missed on your way home, search your podcast app and subscribe to the Primary Ride Home podcast. So, great. I'm going to check that out. Uh, Welcome aboard to a new sponsor. We appreciate it. So, all right, let's get down to it. Let's talk about uh, what the hell's going on in the the aftermath of the Mueller probe. Right, right. So, as I said, you know, we know going in to uh, Wednesday that Mueller and Barr were at odds in March, but this is new information. Also, I think surfacing that morning was the prospect that Mueller himself might testify, and I think that's looking more and more like a thing, testify to Congress. Then there was supposed to be another day of this on Thursday where Barr was supposed to come before the House Judiciary Committee. He did not come. So now Jerry Nadler, the head of that committee, is threatening to subpoena him. Around the same time yesterday, Nancy Pelosi said that Barr lied to Congress. So that's serious, too. So there's there's a whole lot that just kind of came out of the run up to this Wednesday Senate hearing and the fallout from it. So. Before we dig into the hearing itself, uh, maybe, Tierney, could you explain for us what it was exactly that um, Democrats are saying Barr lied about on Wednesday? So, I mean, there's there's multiple statements by Barr that I think you could say were at, at, at best misleading or mischaracterizing. One, one of the comments that, that Democrats are really angry about and, and zeroing in on is a comment that Attorney General Barr made after the report was submitted, before it was released, he had to do this round of hearings in front of various appropriations committees where he was sort of grilled about, you know, how he was handling the report, even though we hadn't seen it yet. And uh, a member of Congress, I want to say it was Charlie Crist, you know, asked, asked far about these reports that some of Mueller's investigators were unhappy with his his four page summary that that came out right away. And he said he, he sort of denied any awareness of that. And then, of course, as we found out Tuesday night, uh, Mahler had, in fact, written a letter to Attorney General Barr, you know, expressing some concerns about the the four-page summary and how it played out. The Justice Department is sort of spinning this letter by saying he never, Mueller never complained that Barr's letter was inaccurate. And he, he you know, he was just more upset about the, the news coverage. And it was really just a, you know, a disagreement about, you know, whether this should be released in a, a piecemeal fashion or, you know, with a total report release as was eventually done. Um, but either way, Democrats say, you know, this is clearly what we were talking about when we asked you about this. 
you should have mentioned this letter, which you had received at, this, at the point of this, this testimony. Um, and so they're, they're, it's really, it's really angered Democrats to, you know, they don't like being lied to. It is, it is technically a crime to lie to Congress. So they're, they're, they're really jumping on this. Well, I guess not, not just, not just technically a crime. There's a couple people going to, going to jail or being tried for it. I mean, a number of the, exactly. uh, now that was, I mean, there were a number of, of alleged bad acts, but isn't that one of the things that, that Michael Cohen pled guilty to? And I think that, that, that Roger Stone is being charged with lying yeah. to Congress. I mean, absolutely. I mean, but the problem with the situation that 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 Democrats are in is, you know, some of the tools that they have to sort of force witnesses to testify or, you know, punish witnesses for lying in testimony. You know, one of those tools is either criminal contempt or criminal referral. That depends on the Justice Department itself. It's not like you can do a criminal referral to the Justice Department to say, Attorney General Barr lied to us and expects Attorney General Bill Barr's Justice Department to prosecute that. So that's that's part of the, the, the spot they're in now with this particular set of misleading comments or lies that they're dealing with is that, you know, that they're kind of, you know, they don't have a ton of options for how they're going to address address them. Isn't there, uh, Tierney, I, I don't know if you've, you've uh, checked in on this, but I, I was reading in an article yesterday that now I, I don't know if this this probably doesn't apply to charges, criminal charges, but there are some cases where if the if the Justice Department is, you know, sort of non-compliant, that the Democrats could basically go to a judge and the judge can actually kind of appoint a, a special prosecutor or at least a uh, a sort of an actor who would, you know, who who could sort of take up a subpoena, a contempt subpoena. So there's like another angle there for them. That- so I, there's actually, I mean, I'm I'm more familiar with this idea and actually a totally different context, but one that's very NTPM's wheelhouse. So I'll go ahead and, and run with it. Um, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, as we all remember, was pardoned by Trump. He is currently in litigation because not only does he want to be, he was, as our readers might remember, was held in criminal contempt for um, refusing to follow a judge's orders and how he was treating immigrants as, as sheriff. And he uh, he's now fighting in court to get his record totally wiped clean. And the Justice Department, of course, is not, you know, not going to oppose him in that. So a special prosecutor was appointed. It actually went all the way up to the Supreme Court, um, and they're letting this a special, I, I think it's a technically a different term, but the specially appointed lawyer to kind of defend the position that, nope, you, ha- you keep this criminal contempt on your record, even though you have been pardoned and don't have to go to jail for it. Um, so yes, that is an option, but that with all sort of kind of relying on the, on the, on the courts to sort of bring people in line, you know, it takes months, it takes years. So, you know, that doesn't really help them if they're trying to get answers in in days and weeks. Right, right. No, absolutely. 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 I was curious to get both of your sense of the letter itself. The way Barr characterized what Mueller was taking exception to was a bit different than my, you know, kind of reading through the letter, what it actually seemed to be saying. Barr was making it a bit narrow about the public response and the press coverage. But I think Mueller's objections seem to be a bit broader to me than that. Was that your read as well? That was, I mean, that was certainly my read. I mean, I think that they're, it's, it's, a, it's a funny letter because uh, Mueller is clearly one of these guys who is, you know, very, you know, uh, 
straight-laced kind of organization man, very close to the vest. And so he wrote this letter that if you don't have a lot of sense of the context or bureaucratic backstories, it can sound sort of, I don't know, calm, not that, you know, uh, kind of making a minor quibble or something like that. But what he, I, I think if, you, if, if you're reading it in, in the correct way, kind of knowing, um, knowing who the writer is and stuff like that, he's really saying, you're really misleading everybody about what is in this report, and it's not okay. And you are, you know, you can, you can, you can uh, fix some of that by immediately releasing these parts that were designed for immediate release, and you should do that. And Yeah, I think it was, I mean, what was extraordinary about the letter beyond the, the actual content was that, you know, special counsel Mueller was creating a paper trail and sort of was creating a record of him absolutely, and absolutely. his concern here. And I don't know if we know fully the full picture of whether, you know, maybe he was concerned that Barr wasn't going to release the full report or, or you know, that he was going to do these really heavy redactions that would have sort of obscured it in a way that he was going to be was going to be totally misleading. But he wanted to create a paper trail, it appears, because as, as Attorney General Bill Barr said himself during the testimony, when he was sort of recalling the phone call that they then had, according to Barr, he said, you know, Bob, why didn't you just call me if you had these concerns? But I think there is a reason Special Counsel Mueller didn't just want this to be an informal conversation. He wanted there to be a document sort of memorializing that 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 Barr was acting in a way that was creating a situation that the special counsel was not comfortable with. Yeah, and I, I, I think that is exactly right. Is certainly There's certainly nothing stopping him from just literally picking up the phone and saying, hey, I really feel like that letter didn't quite capture it. Can you take another run at it? Um, the other thing is, too, is that even though Bob Mueller is, you know, former uh, longtime director of the FBI, he works for, in this context, he works for Bill Barr. And everything that we know about the guy is not someone who goes outside of the chain of command. So at, at a certain level, even second-guessing Barr's handling of this, I think, says a lot. Um, and, and you're exactly right that this is he, – he created a paper trail for a reason. And I think I – th- I take it as a given, frankly, that – I bet there were those conversations. It's not like they had no contact between the time that Bill Barr and we even we even know that there was uh, you can probably help me with the exact dates, but they said ahead of time the special counsel's office after Barr was in place at the, at the Justice Department flagged ahead of time, "Hey, we're 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 not going to make a, a judgment about about obstruction. We're going to do it this way. It was already clear, I think both sides have been clear on this, that Barr was not happy about that. So there was a lot of, there was already kind of conversations going on. Josh Kavinsky did a a timeline for us um, this week that, you know, we know there was this March 5th meeting where it was discussed that Mueller was not going to be reaching a call on obstruction. There is some more back and forth the weekend. After Mueller had submitted the report, before Barr's summary came out, according to Barr, he you know offered to let Mueller review the summary, and Mueller declined. But again, that's according to Barr's retelling. There was communication after the letter. Uh, the summary came out, and then this you know letter on March 
20, 27th. And then, you know, this phone call that happened afterwards. So that's, you know, that's about a half dozen at least contacts that we know of where a lot of these issues were being discussed. And and that I that I think is what I mean, there is a, we always know this point that uh, we think about perjury is lying, you know, lying under oath, lying in an official context, blah, 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 blah. But we also know that it is a very technical crime. It has, you know, it has to meet all these standards, it has to be material, it has to be, you know, it can't, it, it has to be sort of it has to be cut and dry. There's a lot of ways you can kind of wiggle your way out. And I think what is the reason the Democrats, I think, are on really solid ground in their in their uh, anger about this is that this was not some, you know, secondary issue. This is the heart of the issue since everything, you know, the whole question here is what is Bill Barr up to in handling this report? In, in being the one who is making the key decisions about this report, what we get to see, what we don't. And uh, Robert Mueller, as the guy who ran the investigation and all sort of the, you know, kind of mythology and, and stuff about him, has a lot of credibility. So this basic question of like, is Bob Mueller on board with what you're doing here? Does he think this is legit? Because if you, if you recall back... Um, Early on, after the report was submitted, when we got the letter, there was all this. There was a lot of commentary that, well, you know, if Bob Mueller is up there on the stage when 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 Bill Barr is presenting this, or if Robert Mueller is sort of there at the testimony, you know, backing up Bill Barr, that's going to put the Democrats and you know where are they going to be then? Because you know, Bob Mueller is just you know saying, yep. Bill and I are on the same page here about the redactions or whatever else. So this question of like, is Bob Mueller okay with this? Is he on board with what you're saying about his report is like the central thing. And when he says like, eh, as far as I know, yep, I haven't heard anything <laughs> where, where it's almost like um, – it's almost like it is a bigger deal than even if it's – like whether there's some technical truth, he was – intentionally deceiving the Congress about the central issue. So I just, you know, almost nothing is as big a deal as that. One of the interesting things to come out of the hearing was, I mean, there were a number of questions about this letter, but just also other questions that didn't directly touch on the letter. Barr chose to kind of, you know, deal some knocks toward toward Mueller. And I think people were a bit surprised about that. And then I think, Tierney, you noted in one of your pieces, it was not ideal for Barr, maybe, to end the hearing on the note that he thought Mueller's letter was a little snitty. It just kind of <laughs> ended things on, on maybe not the note he hoped for. Yeah. And, and in that line, he sort of undercut sort of the spin about about the, the Mueller letter, because after he said it was a little snitty, he said something along the lines of, Maybe his staff wrote it. Well, that undercuts your sort of spin about the the previous testimony where you're saying, well, I, I, I didn't know how his staff felt when you're now saying that you think the staff wrote the letter. Right, um, right. So, yeah, I don't think that I don't think that uh, testimony was um, 
the strongest performance Bill Barr could have given, given the circumstances. Well, we haven't really talked about the, the, the day itself, Wednesday, the testimony itself at large. I'm curious just broadly what both of you guys, what kind of stood out to you, what you were thinking about at the end of the day, what you took away from well, it. I'll say this. I'm curious because, you know, when we when we watch, and this is all most of us ever do, when we watch this testimony on TV, my impression has always been, having seen both, that it has it looks much more grand on TV. It looks like the, the space is much larger. And in fact, these are relatively small rooms. Everybody's kind of is everybody's kind of near each other. So yeah. I'm really curious, Tierney, you were there. What was the feeling? Yeah, so there was actually, it's funny you should, you, you should bring it up um, about the space of the room because there was some grumbling. It's uh, one of the, not the smallest room that you can hold a testimony, but certainly, certainly not the biggest room. There's, a, there's another room in the Capitol grounds in one of the other Senate buildings that's usually where they have their, their high-profile hearings. Think Comey, think you know, confirmation hearings for Supreme Court justices and attorney generals. You know, and, and the fact that they didn't use, that Senator Graham didn't choose to hold this hearing in that room, but rather one of the more cramped rooms, I think, was really revealing that, you know, he's ready to move on. He didn't want to make a big deal of this. He's only doing this because Bill Barr had explicitly offered this. And so, yeah, it was actually a really cramped room. You know, not a ton of space for reporters, not a ton of space for the general public. And, you know, maybe it looks a little bit bigger on TV, but, you know, compared to some of the other hearings I've been to, it was... You know, you didn't have the TVs in the room where you could see his face. It was it was a lot of a more it's a, a less grandiose setting than some of the other hearings I've been to have been. Now you had that you had that one thing in one of in one of your uh, in in one of your pieces where you said that he had the he had the same swagger basically that he had in his confirmation hearings, but it played very differently. And I think you know one of the things, one of the ways you described it, Tierney, was you know that sense of like. You know, I've already been attorney general. I've been, you know, been been there, done that, and and uh, so you know, I don't need this kind of attitude. Walk us through that. Tell us about having having seen both and his attitude. Yeah. So just for just so full candor, I was not here in D.C. the week that Barr was doing those hearings in front of the appropriation committees after the report was submitted, but before the, the full report came out. So I hadn't seen him, you know, in person testify since his confirmation hearing. And obviously it was a different world back then, but I thought that as I wrote in my prime piece, I thought that swagger sort of helped him because the, the argument he was making and, and that attitude was, oh, like you don't have to worry about me buckling to Trump. Like I'm, I'm retired. I'm not, you know, trying to climb after this. I have my legacy. I'm not going to, you know, do anything that would be unethical because like, I don't have like, what, what do I have to lose here by pissing off Trump? You know, I'm, I'm at the end of my career. And, you know, I thought it was pretty effective, um, to be honest. I mean, there was stuff that came out before and after that testimony that I think clearly undercut that. And I think people who know, Barr's, you know, history had plenty of reasons to be concerned, but I think just the testimony itself was pretty effective um, and sort of kind of driving that point home. Um, but, you know, it kind of played very differently because now we've had two months where we've seen just the opposite, that he wasn't, you know, standing up to Trump. He was providing Trump the most generous spin possible. And in fact, you know, mischaracterizing the report and doing so all these other sort of shady things. So that swagger now comes off as, 
screw you. I will protect the president because that's what I want to do. And um, yeah, it was just really fascinating because it just, I don't think anything really fundamentally changed about his sort of body language and demeanor and and tone, but just... The one thing I, I was certainly one of the people who, who did not go into this with very high expectations of Bill Barr. But I would say that that I am surprised about this point. I expected him to do, I think I wrote a piece about this, I expected him to do everything he could that was in the narrowest sense legal to protect the president. What I did not expect though, I expected that what he would do is he would be you know, pulling every lever, making every decision he could on behalf of the president, um, really kind of acting as his, you know, defender, advocate, you know, personal lawyer in a sense. But I expected his messaging would stay very much on, you know, by the books, institutional integrity, blah, 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 blah. I'm calling, you know, kind of calling these as, as I see them. And what came out to me Oh, what has seemed clear over the last few weeks, and especially in that testimony, is he seemed to, he really wasn't putting on any airs about it. I thought he was actually fairly um, straightforward when someone's, people would say, well, you know, shouldn't you do this? And he's like, why? Why do I have to do that? Like, there was that one point yeah. said, where, where someone asked him, you know, could we see the the the, the you know, notes yeah why the would notes I show them to you? between yeah. you and Mueller and there's like why why would I do that you know kind of the way you would expect if um if you know prosecution goes to the defense attorney and says like hey can we see your just your your you know kind of case notes and defense attorney would say why the fuck would I do that you know why it, 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 he didn't he he's just been um he's been more brazen than I than I expected again yeah. substantively the decisions are what I expected. He has been more open about it than I expected. Yeah. And I've wondered, I've thought a lot about, you know, kind of all these preconceived notions that we had about him and how he'd perform in the role, you know, back in January versus what we've seen since. And I wonder how much of, you know, kind of the the dissonance there can be explained by the fact that, A, it's been 20 years since the last time he was really in a public, high-profile public service role like this, the, I guess even longer than that, 30 years, I guess. Let's think about what's changed. Hey, the media environment has totally changed. So I'm sure there are certain things that he's saying and doing that are playing in a way that I don't think he really understands. Something maybe like the spying comment that he doesn't really understand is going to have repercussions. And B, has he just spent the last 30 years watching Fox News? Has he just kind of totally just removed himself from any sort of understanding of what, you know, a public official is supposed to act like and sort of just gone full on fever swamp conservative. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I agree that there was some sort of surprise by everyone that in tone, just not in substance, the way he's been um, carrying this out. You're theorizing that the same thing happened to his brain that happened to a good chunk of America's brains during that yeah, intermediate. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say one thing that surprised I me. Mean, one thing that is interesting to me is you have uh, uh, Benjamin Wittes and, and, and James Comey, and, and I, you know, they have their own explanations to make. This isn't um, putting a lot of stock in them, but I do find it revealing for this question that both of them a couple weeks ago were like, hey, you know, you got to park your partisanship at the door. No one can doubt the good, you know, the, the bona fides and good faith of a, of a upstanding lawyer like Bill Barr. And now they're both like, yep, 
he turned out to be a total hack. I'm surprised. And so, so you know, that's on them. But I, it is interesting to me to see those uh, Republican um, establishment, you know, D.C. legal establishment type figures making that flip. Um, you know, it it shows. I, I don't know what they were thinking at the. At, it seemed crazy yeah. to me that they would think that, but I mean, they they their their turnabout is is revealing on its own terms. Something I was planning to bring up, regardless, is a great piece in the Atlantic by um, Adam Serwer, who kind of wrote the counter counter piece. That's you know, this is not just your typical Trump lackey who just has to grovel in front of the president and do those embarrassing pool sprays where everyone praises him. This is what Barr really believes. And this is what he'd be saying about any Republican president that, you know, they can kind of be held above the law. So this is not, you know, some some formerly great guy who's been corrupted by being around Trump. This is someone who deeply holds a lot of these views that now we're finding so troublesome. So you can't just blame it on, oh, you know, another one bites the dust by being in Trump's circle. Um, there was all. There was always this essence within him. Yeah, you know that. That's actually. I'm curious about that because I partly agree with that. I'm not sure I entirely agree with what Adam was. I mean, certainly he. There's sort of an overlapping things here. One is uh, people in the conservative legal establishment who just believe in almost unlimited executive power as a matter of principle. Um, that tends to be the case, especially under Republican presidents, as we've seen over and over and over again. But at least nominally, people who believe that the president really is the law at some level. Um, maybe they wouldn't put it that way, but in practice, that's the case. What's interesting to me, though, is that that often gets, I mean, there are, when people talk about you know theory of the uni- unitary executive uh, and so forth, It is, you know, there is a, it may be bad thinking, but there is a logic to it. And the logic on its own terms can be compelling sometimes about, you know, how do the president's war powers impact, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. But we tend to think of these as theoretical questions about how do you think about balancing the different structures of the constitutional system against itself, blah, 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 blah. But it's not just that. And I think with someone like Bill Barr, you see something a little different, which is it can also be just an authoritarian mindset about power and about the uh, breaks on the limits on power of your own team. So in some, the, the, the way that I don't entirely agree with that is that we tend to, we can sometimes have a kind of antiseptic way of um, looking at these questions that it's, it's theorizing. It's different theories of executive power. And I think with someone like Barr, we talk about, you know, has been marinating in the sort of the Fox world for 20 years. I think that it's maybe more authoritarianism that we see there than than legal reasoning and and they may overlap but in my mind they're not 
quite the same. And 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 what I what I see him what I see him doing seems more of the latter to me than the than the former. Speaking of the Fox News world, we should probably talk about some of the questions Barr got from uh, senators during the hearing, echoing his own comments that the Trump campaign may have been improperly spied on. And he wants to get to the bottom of that. Is this uh, it, it feels like this might be something we're going to be hearing about uh, for months, potentially <laughs> up through the election and more than a year away. Um, is that your sense of it, Tierney? Yeah, well, 100 percent. I mean, there is this irony that uh, and, and on one hand, you know, Republicans are saying we need to move on from the Mueller report. It's done. And the other hand, it's we need to investigate how the Hillary Clinton review was handled and how this this Russia probe started in the first place. But, you know, it's 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 concerning. And I talked to you know some House Democrats who made this point. Um, it's concerning not just because of the kind of backward looking like what, you know, this fixation on on previous administrations and, and what that means. Also, it's concerning in the sense of this is a distraction from Trump's poor conduct. But they're also concerned that they're seeing Barr play along with it and say, yep, I'm reviewing that. Because what does that mean if and when Donald Trump asked Barr to investigate whoever his Democratic 2020 challenger is? Um, it's, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of things to be uncomfortable about when you're just seeing people asking Barr to investigate things and that those allegations are obviously partisan driven and he's just he's just going along with it. Tina, let me let me drill on one point because I'm not I'm not sure this is always clear to everybody that but it's what it's what jumps out at me is that when he says he's looking into it, the attorney general, no attorney general investigates anything. It's an executive position. And, you know, you 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 give it over to a line prosecutor, you appoint a special, you know, a kind of a, a, maybe not a special prosecutor, or you, you know, bring in the inspector general. But he seems to be saying, you know, he's going to do it, operating not through any standard line of authority. Walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, there is this sense, because a, a position like attorney attorney general is obviously, you know, a political position and also, but, you know, you're overseeing a branch of government that ha- needs to have some level of removal from politics. So that's why you have this sort of hierarchy to try to create some sort of insulation between what the trial prosecutors are looking into versus what a corrupt president might be whispering into an attorney general's ear in the Oval Office. And yeah, and there was one line in particular that I, that really stood out to me, which is he said about this stuff. My people are working with the Department of Justice Inspector General to look at this, and there can be referrals, and you know there is some sort of kind of communication between the two. But the the OIG is supposed to be kind of independent because the whole point of it it's it's an yeah, independent I mean, that's the whole, view that's the whole point <laughs> of yeah. what's going on. So the, that was also a weird a weird line, and I, I actually reached out to the OIG afterwards say, can you explain this to me? Is there something that I'm missing here? And, you know, the answer I got was essentially no comment, like reach out to the the DOJ's press office. But what they always say when I reach out to them is usually if they are investigating something, there might be, you know, a public press release that explains that they're investigating something. And they said, nope, no, no public information. We can we can point to you here. Reach out to the the to bars people to see if they'll explain it to you. Um 
So it's hard to know like, when he says stuff like that, is he just speaking off the cuff or is he or is this something he's actually doing? Well, I would, you know, one one thing, and we sort of lose track of this, that the point of an inspector general, I mean, an inspector general is sort of like a standing special prosecutor about a department on the idea that you need someone who is outside the department to make sure the department isn't doing anything wrong. Um, and so, it, but clearly we've, we've, we have gotten to the point now because of Trump's whole bizarre relationship to the entire federal bureaucracy, that it is, you know, just as Trump is saying, oh, I got to target my enemies in the FBI, even though the FBI works for me, where Bill Barr is sort of like, you know, ah, got to get the inspector general on this. I'm going to work with the inspector general. That's kind of the whole point, that it's not just, it's it's not just that you, you don't want, um, the attorney general to be micromanaging an investigation led by some prosecutor in the Justice Department. The whole point is it is a separate thing because it is looking at the department. So even looking at the attorney general. So we're we're so far off from anything that makes sense about the, about the relationships of power in these cases that it's you know sometimes you need to step back and just and just look at how upside down it all is. Josh, do you want to talk a little bit about the story, the Ed blog post you wrote this week with regard to Joe Biden's son based on the New York Times story? Is that is that relevant to all this? Well, I I felt, you know, this this it's it's complicated because there's sort of two very different things going on in that story. Um, uh, it has to do with Joe Biden's son, but I mean, frankly, I was surprised that that story was not like a, a sort of like a blockbuster that everybody is talking about, because there, with it's hard to summarize. Basically, um, there was some questions about someone Joe Biden's son was working for in Ukraine back in 2015, 2016. I think it is. It's pretty clear that the to the extent that that there was accusations, they seem to be seem to have been frivolous for anything that Biden, Joe Biden, had anything to do with. And in any case, we're just sort of concluded and done and in the past. And Rudy Giuliani has been for I think the last year going to the people in Ukraine, who obviously the U.S. has immense leverage over now because they have their whole thing with Russia, blah, 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 and saying, you want to be friends with Trump, you should really look into stuff about Joe Biden, <laughs> which, is so, which is so totally insane. The president's personal lawyer is doing his own private diplomacy to go abroad and try to get people to start investigations into the president's political enemies in the United States. And on top of that, they having having gotten those things kicked off again, Trump and Giuliani are now going to Bill Barr and saying, oh, they've got an investigation going on in Ukraine. You better get on that. Open your own investigation. And apparently Bill Barr's like, oh, cool. Yeah, we'll do. So all of the all of the, it's it's insane. Yeah. I mean, what it is, is it's there. It's they're doing exactly the thing that they accuse Democrats of doing in the Russia probe, sort of laundering in or a, a reason for an attorney general to start an investigation, or at least they're trying to do the same thing. So, you know, it goes back to this 
projection argument that, you know, everything Republicans accuse the Democrats of are actually what they're doing themselves. But, you know, it's it's yeah, that it was weird to me that that detail was buried so low in that story. Yeah, to put I mean, I guess it's at some level it was, you know, because the normal the the normal practice for the times would just be to say, you know, blockbuster, new scandal with Joe Biden, which is kind of what happened in 2016 without getting. So at a certain level, I thought it was it was, you know, good for them to explain the backstory of what was behind this. Uh, But yeah, I mean, again, the president's personal lawyer going abroad, telling people, if you want to get good with the president of the United States, you need to start investigating his political opponents. That is totally that is totally insane, especially in a case that is especially in a case like Ukraine. Because you know, if 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 Rudy Giuliani went to the United, you know, someone in the United Kingdom, and made that argument, they'd probably get probably hopefully get shut down. You know, because like. The, the, United Kingdom's, uh, well, at least used to be a serious country, um, has its own standing, and they're just not going to get in. You know, they're not going to get involved in something like that. But Ukraine is in a, um, you know, is, is in basically kind of a life and death struggle with a lot of its territory being chewed up by Russia. So Ukraine needs the president at an existential level. So I'm sure they are. I wouldn't even blame them for in the, in terms of their own self-interest in doing something like that. So that is uh, it 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 it's I'm flabbergasted that that happened and I'm flabbergasted that it it is not gotten more attention than it has although at some level with all these other things going there's a lot of outrageous things going on at at at, uh, at one time. We should move toward wrapping up, but just kind of looking forward, um, you know, Barr was supposed to show up on Thursday, did not. Now uh, the House Judiciary Committee is mad and uh, things are going to come out of that, uh, potentially a subpoena. Um, Tierney, would you be able to just talk us through what what should we expect from House Democrats with regard to how they're going to deal with Barr? Yeah, so I think right now... You know, they said, uh, Chairman Nadler said he's going to make one last round of, you know, a negotiation before kind of escalating things. And so I think that's what's kind of the next step that's happening right now. And I think what the the sort of threat that they're holding behind that is um, a contempt, you know, proceeding, which is, you know, kind of a multi-step process, but moving forward towards that. Um, and what's sort of interesting to me about this whole thing, oh, there's a couple of different things. Barr's behavior in the last couple of weeks have really energized Democrats in a way, you know, that even after the report, they were feeling a little uneasy about, you know, impeachment and these other questions of how much they should be focusing on this. Something about how he behaved has sort of kind of shooken them to a bit that they're kind of leaning into this in a way that I wasn't expecting, you know, a month ago. Um, but what's also interesting to me is that they're they really are focusing it mostly towards Barr, which don't get me wrong, obviously Barr's conduct is serious and deserving of scrutiny, but you're still also sitting on this report that says Trump obstructed justice and you're you're talking about impeaching Bill Barr, you're not talking about pe- impeaching Donald Trump. And you know, this is sort of speculative, but my guess is that from a political standpoint, Barr is a, a useful vehicle to sort of train that anger 
but it's a little bit less risky because you don't have to worry about it being the same sort of base motivator that if they try to impeach Trump could be a base motivator. So, you know, there's this whole idea like, oh, if we if we if we move forward with impeaching Trump, we'll just be handing him the 2020 election. Well, I don't think that's really a risk with Bill Barr. I mean, I don't think there's a ton of Republican voters who are going to be really (laughs) following this so closely that they would turn out in hordes because of a Bill Barr impeachment being floated around. So maybe that's the reason that they're training all their anger at, at Barr at this moment. But it is really fascinating to me that that's sort of where the anger has gone. So you see it, this kind of as a political calculus that they're that they're making. There's a political calculus. And I think there's also a legal calculus because they've made clear that their their end goal is to get the report, the full report, unredacted and underlying materials, the more that they can show that Barr is being defiant to them, the better their court case will look for why, you know, the DOJ is not being accommodating and, you know, need a, needs a court to pull them into compliance. So that's one of the reasons that they were kind of sticking to their guns of you have to have a we're going to do this this Thursday hearing in front of House Judiciary our way. And if you, if you don't like that, then don't show up which is what happened. So I think there is a legal calculation. And so that begins us, brings us to the next question of why is the report such a major end game goal for them when the, you know, there are redactions. The redactions are interesting. I certainly want to see what's under the redactions, but I'm skeptical it's going to change, you know, well, let me, the let me broad takeaway. Let me ask you this, Tierney, because you mentioned there, though, this this issue of the underlying materials. Now, I agree with you that... that you know, having read the report, I'd certainly like to see it under, you know, I'd like to see under the redactions. But my impression is, is the redactions are, you know, they're not that extensive. I don't think they would, yeah. you know, radically change the game. You know, we'll learn more about Roger Stone. We'll learn more right. about Donald Trump Jr. And yeah, I think the underlying evidence is key here because I think what they think is that, okay, maybe Mueller didn't find collusion, you know, quote unquote collusion, conspiracy with the Russian government, but he probably found evidence of a whole lot of other criminal things that, you know, for all we know has been referred out, but we don't know if those investigations are going to be able to proceed given how bars behave. So we need to get that evidence as well. Well, I would say, I mean, I would say, I mean, my interest would be, again, what what I took from the report is what they considered you know, evidence to establish a criminal conspiracy was a pretty high bar. Um, and mm-hmm. so and and there are lots of things that I mean, here here's one way I kind of, you know, I kind of look at this. What the hell happened in Helsinki? Vladimir Putin has some kind of hold over over the president. You know, why does the president have to have to go in front of the entire world and say things, you know, Kowtow to Vladimir Putin. Um, some people say, "Well, it's it's a pride thing. He wants to." I don't really buy that. I think that um, I think he has some sway over the president, and so I think in looking at that underlying material, which I take Mueller's word for it. That you know, it's not stuff that you could that you could confidently build a criminal case about, but I think it might shed light on 
what that relationship is about, what hold uh, this guy seems to have over the president. So that, I think, to me, I would be very interested in seeing that, quite apart from these other, you know, 14 cases or whatever, just to, you know, because I know this is kind of going off on a tangent here, but this even gets to, you know, yesterday there was this letter that uh, Emmett Flood, who I guess is, you know, special counts are, you know, spe- some the White House of- counsel who's dealing with the Russia stuff, basically. Right. The lead person on the Russia stuff in the White House counsel's office. And he made this case. When you actually break it all down, it's clear that their argument is, look, your job was to decide if there were criminal charges to bring. Full stop. That was your only job. So your job was not to lay out a case to to Congress or to the public, that wasn't your job. So you exceeded your mandate. And you can see the logic for them is, uh, you know, you, uh, you had a, you were not able to decide that there was a criminal case. And in the, in the back, though, you're not allowed to bring the criminal case against the president. So they have this kind of like airtight box. You can't charge the president with anything. Ergo, you weren't going to be able to charge the president with anything. Ergo, shut up. There's nothing you're supposed to say. And that is so they have this theory of this this investigation that's really just a, it's just a conventional criminal investigation in the Department of Justice. Whereas I think there is certainly Democrats think and I think polls show that the majority of the country thinks that the point of this investigation is to find out what the hell happened. And a lot of, you know, what the hell happened is going to be things that fall short of criminal prosecutions. And you're really going to need to see the underlying evidence. So anyway, uh, off on off on my tangent. But that to me, if, if if this is all about you know kind of getting under the grand jury redactions, like I'd love to see it, but I don't really think that in itself is a big deal. But I I would least I would like to think at least that it's the underlying evidence, underlying materials that is why they're you know, going to all these lengths. Is is that your impression, Tierney, that that's kind of what the real game is here? Yeah, 100%. Um, 100%. Uh, and yeah, sometimes it's it's hard to see that, but because, you, like you said, he's looking, it's like, well, it's redacted, but it's not that redacted. But underlying materials is pretty key in that request. Right, right. All right. All right. So hey, why would we need to discuss uh, becoming a member of TPM, which you totally should do. You should you should subscribe to Prime. Uh, if you are a TPM reader, you absolutely should. It's totally awesome. You get all these great exclusive content and fewer ads and all sorts of awesome stuff. But even if you're just a listener to the Josh Marshall podcast, you totally should because that this is uh, that's how we fund doing this podcast with with our memberships. So uh, here here's I'm just gonna kind of tell you the official word here. The way we pay for everything TPM does is through memberships. Becoming a member means you get extra stories that we write. You get fewer ads on the site. You get to post on a special member forum. You get a bunch of other good stuff, but also means you support our journalism and support this podcast. We have a special offer for podcast listeners, 20% off a TPM Prime membership. To get that offer, you go to talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal. That's talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal. And there's a little 
sign up and that that's where you get the special deal but seriously uh, it's important uh, you know these are these are uh, tough times for all of, of journalism and uh, memberships is is how we make this possible and how we have this little podcast studio and how we have uh, Tierney and the DC team down there uh, uh, covering you know up there on Capitol Hill doing all this stuff that's all where it comes from so become a member it's uh, not too much money it's a great deal and you support the work we do sounds good cool all right thanks 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 talk to you later Bye. bye